Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was 166 laps into the 1976 Daytona 500 when Richard Petty passed David Pearson for the first time. The number 43 Dodge Charger zipped past Pearson's 1976 Mercury Montego. The two-ton post-oil crisis beasts raced just inches apart and Petty squeaked by to take the lead. They stayed car lengths from each other as every attendee in Daytona Beach climbed the walls to get a better view of history unfolding. On the final lap, Pearson maneuvered his yacht of a race car low on one of the last turns and pushed the 800 horsepower monster just inches from Petty and pulled ahead. He steered the Montego to the top of turn four and Petty positioned to retake the lead as they could both see the checkered flag only 1,500 feet away. Petty made his move. On the final turn, he gunned it and rocketed his blue and orange charger right past Pearson, or uh, almost past Pearson. As they routed turn four, the Charger's monstrous rear bumper clipped the front end of the Montego. The force slammed Petty into the wall. Then, Petty overcorrected and smashed head-on into the concrete. Behind him, Pearson struggled to keep his Montego pointed towards the flag and crashed into the wall himself. They both struggled to keep their cars on the track and wound up spinning onto the grass, a hundred feet from the finish line. Petty's motor cut as the car rolled to a stop. But, as Pearson crashed, he smashed his foot down on the clutch, which saved his car from stalling out like Petty's. When the Montego came to a stop, Pearson popped the clutch and dropped the car into gear and crawled his way towards the finish line in his destroyed car while Petty sat in his dead vehicle. Mopar versus Ford, North versus South Carolina, Purolator versus STP. How did Petty and Pearson manage to win so many races? Why did they wind up in head-to-head -head battles almost every weekend? And how did their rivalry push NASCAR to the limits and save the sport from suffering the same fate as the auto industry during the 1970s? This is Petty versus Pearson. Fast Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. <laughs> you guys both doing theme songs <laughs> just overlay two different theme songs look uh, the the contract for the past guest theme song is up for debate this year so we really have to shoot our shot if we want to get our own theme songs to be you know chosen i really like yours joe some people would say it's the up to speed theme song uh <laughs> it sounded very familiar yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i it's an original though i swear to god you guys can sue me if you want 
Hey, welcome back to Past Gas, everybody. I am your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my co-hosts. We got Joe Weber. Keep it juice. And special <laughs> substitute guest host, Jeremiah Burton. Hey, guys, I'm the James Pumphrey wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> James right now is on a plane to the Low Show over on the East Coast. It's a Volkswagen show put on by Jamie Orr. I guess it's in a mall, an abandoned mall or something. They've they've like set up all these different storefronts for different manufacturers, and James's car is going to be in the Rotiform booth. Oh um, heck yeah! Yeah, it sounds like it's been a real um, real journey to get his car to the East Coast. So Jeremiah is here. This is not Jeremiah's first time on the podcast. Uh, I remember about a, a year and a half ago, you came on for the, the PT Cruiser episodes. <laughs> Listen, I only do Cruiser episodes. I've done two past gas. One was the PT Cruiser and the other one was the Arctic Cruiser. Oh, that's right. So unless this Petty vs. Pearson has some sort of Cruiser reference, I'm out of here. <laughs> I forgot about the Arctic one. Yeah, yeah, we did the Arctic cruiser. Yeah, yeah. yeah I learned so a lot about Antarctica. <laughs> I like how within the, what, first 15 episodes or something, we're like, oh, we're out of cars. Let's just do a snow cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> we're figuring it out, man. We're figuring it out. Yeah, that, well, I mean, it's like with Wheelhouse, episode four, I think, is about cup holders. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but now you guys have found your groove, and you're just grooving, man. Yeah, in case you didn't know, if you don't watch our YouTube channel for some reason and just listen to the show, Jeremiah has a show called Bumper to Bumper. So, yeah, it's all about science and engineering. And Wait, let me see if I can get the Bumper to Bumper theme song. <laughs> Is that it? It's pretty good, yeah. And with a beat in the background, too, if I could do that and beatbox, that would be perfect. Here's a pitch for the new Pass Gas theme song. Just overlay every other show theme song on top of each other <laughs> and see if we can create a mashup. Joe, you're a master. You can do that. You can figure that out. You're the audio guy. Yeah, I love that's That's my favorite thing when people come to me and they're like, hey, I think these two songs would be good together. Can you make a mashup? And it's like, obviously not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was... In uh, my freshman year of college, I downloaded, uh, not Audacity, um, what's that one free one? Maybe it is Audacity. Okay, I had Audacity, and I was like, I want to try to mash up, like do a mashup. Uh, and I think the songs I chose, what was it? It was definitely uh, Saint Anger by Metallica, and <laughs> I think like Still it's Dre a- or something like that. <laughs> Because they had similar beats per minute. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I failed. It was really hard. I couldn't find like a some sort of stem that I needed. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But yeah, I was inspired by Girl Talk. Yeah, that's... I also did a mashup album around that time. But it was to prove that Girl Talk was garbage. I didn't think Girl Talk was... <laughs> worthy of all the hype he was getting so i was like i'm gonna make my own and it took me month it took me probably six months to make like 45 minutes of a mashup and 
I'm very proud of it. And it's great. I've listened you, to it. Yeah. Thank I you. haven't heard it. You send it my way. I want to hear it. It's called Masterpiece Theater. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, speaking of a Masterpiece Theater, how about we uh, um, uh, talk about the story? Yeah. For more than 25 years, Richard the King Petty and David the Silver Fox Pearson went head-to-head at the track and forged one of the deepest rivalries ever seen in the sport of not only NASCAR, but motorsport overall. The two faced off 551 times between 1960 and 1981. Yeah, that's pretty insane. And during that time period, the two managed to win 205 of those 551 starts, which is just an absolutely ridiculous percentage, and uh, pretty much makes them some of the best drivers that NASCAR has ever seen. When these two rivals got on track together, none of the other cars mattered. In modern NASCAR, rivalries are somewhat commonplace. Like when Jimmy Spencer socked Kurt Busch right in the nose after a race, or when Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon went head-to-head trading insults on the podium. It's basically a form of marketing for NASCAR these days, much like the kayfabe battles of the WWE. But before all that, there were the old gods of NASCAR. At a time when guys with names like Fireball Johnson, Dick Dixon, and Pappy Crane (laughs) dominated at the track, they kept their battles on the oval and didn't call each other's names. Two out of the three of those are penis names. (laughs) (laughs) I would argue that all of them are. Yeah, I call my penis the crane all the time. (laughs) Richard Petty was NASCAR royalty, and he acted like it. His father, Lee Petty, made a name for himself at the first NASCAR race ever held at Charlotte Speedway. He borrowed his neighbor's 1948 Buick Roadmaster and promptly rolled it on turn three. (laughs) Hey, man, my uh, Roadmaster looks a little different. (laughs) From there, he won the inaugural Daytona 500, and he just kept on racing. And after five seasons, he managed to place top five in each one. The younger Petty, Richard, watched his dad gather wins, and he wanted some of the action himself. So in 1958, he joined Petty Enterprises, and in a year, he had scored nine top ten finishes, as well as the label Rookie of the Year. And by the mid-60s, he claimed his first Grand National Cup. In 1965, NASCAR banned Petty's beloved Hemi, which disappointed him so much he noped entirely out of NASCAR and spent a year drag racing. But he returned to NASCAR with his non-Hemi Mopar power, and in 1967, had the greatest year not only of his life, but of also every other racer of all time. That time, Petty won a mind-boggling 27 out of 48 races. And to top it off, wow, he won 10 of them in a row, Joe. Jeez. <laughs> Sheesh. Uh, so that 10 in a row streak has never happened in NASCAR. Uh, that's never happened in NASCAR history. Uh, not even close. The second best is five in a row, which he also held, but tied with Bobby Allison. Whoa, so the second best record is half that record? Yeah, and he has it. That's crazy. Some attribute his plethora of wins to him being a good driver. And sure, that's probably part of it. But you can't be a number one if you don't have a number two chasing you. Am I right, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Toilet jokes. Love it. So yeah, uh, the Joker (laughs) completes the Batman. Joe Frazier battled Muhammad Ali. Coca-Cola has Pepsi. And Lamborghinis wouldn't even exist if Enzo Ferrari hadn't been a jerk to his customers. There's always got to be a yin to the yang. 
David Pearson slid into the NASCAR scene in 1960, destined to clash heads with Petty. It was like they were created in a lab to specifically compete. Pearson was from South Carolina and didn't come from a family of racers. His first taste of stock car racing was when he climbed a tree outside of the Spartanburg fairgrounds to catch a free peek at the cars. Watching the 1940s lead sleds rip around the dirt track was so appealing that he declared right then that he would have a career in racing. He went out and bought a 1940 Ford Coupe and unbolted the fenders and converted it to a street rod. He spent his time Dukes of Hazard style jumping that beast over ditches until he rolled the thing over. <laughs> Dude, Why? that's so awesome. I know, that's... What? With your first yeah, car? Just, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to jump this ditch. <laughs> we had a guy uh, in high school. His name was Ivan, and he had a Dodge Intrepid that he would jump over curbs and stuff. So it's basically <laughs> the same thing. I drive a Dodge Intrepid. <laughs> uh, not one to quit. He immediately bought another 40 Ford and took it racing where he bagged a $30 prize in the outlaw class. What is the outlaw class? <laughs> Also, another Ivan story. Uh, in junior high, on Valentine's Day, on Valentine's Day, this girl Bailey, uh, she was like giving her friends goldfish as like Valentines. So she had like a, she had like goldfish. Yeah, like like the real, crackers. The fish. Oh, not the crackers, like the the animal. Oh, um, and <laughs> Ivan ate one. He ate a goldfish, a live goldfish. Oh my God, Ivan. Was he like a Viking or what did this guy look like? Uh, uh, he, 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 uh, he came from Russia. Oh. He had moved from Russia when he was a kid. Yeah. So that was like not a big deal. That was like a Friday night for him. <laughs> I don't know, but that was one of the wildest things I'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, Which says a lot about me, I guess, but. <laughs> I feel like you, you more than anyone have these weird kind of guys in this life like you have a lot of ivans in your life i do i do uh it's just that's part of small town living man that's part of living that's what that's what a tascadero does man that's <laughs> guys eating goldfish and, and hopping curbs Woo! yeah and a pretty good in and out damn good in and out yeah have you been down there i've driven through just to get i just we stopped for in and out specifically we 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 me and rachel base our uh road trips off of in and out locations and atascadero's on the way to uh you know santa cruz so we hit it up mm -hmm. pearson's consistent wins caught the attention of locals and in 1959 he won the track championship at greenville pickens speedway this put him on a direct path to nascar except he didn't have a car or a team a fellow racer named Jack White sold him a car, and his first race was the second Daytona 500, where he placed 28th, well behind the father and son Petty team. Dang. That's pretty cool of Jack White to do that, though, man. Taking time out of his busy music schedule to... Yeah, he is, that was around the same time Tidal was uh, rolling out their promotions. So it's... <laughs> but Pearson was just getting started. He raced in 22 events that season and earned the Rookie of the Year title after getting pole at Piedmont and bagging second place at Gamecock Speedway. <laughs> I love these old racetrack names. You got Greenville Pickens Speedway. 
You got uh, Spartan Bird. You got Gamecock Speedway. <laughs> Chode Gulch. <laughs> Chode Gulch Raceway. Come on down to Chode Gulch. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have one barf of a time. <laughs> I also like this guy. His second race ever was at the Daytona 500. Yeah. That's insane. That's really funny. Oh, so I misinterpreted that. I thought that was the second Daytona 500 ever raced. Oh, maybe. And, and his, oh no, his first race was the second. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I yeah. read it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still, oh, so his first race was at the Daytona 500. Yeah. That's trial by fire right there. Were they running the Daytona 500 on the same track that is there right now? I think at that time, what year is this? 1959. I think they're still racing on the beach. Let me check real quick. Oh, no, it looks like they have their, they had the oval track set up. So they're not on the beach at this time. Dang. Yeah, it's the same. Wow. Same course. Uh, probably a little different, obviously, but yeah. I'm looking at this picture of the first Daytona taken from the, the Goodyear blimp back then, and it's Whoa. the same layout. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Blimp technology hasn't improved very much. No, it doesn't need to. I don't know, man. Well, they got the LED on. That was a big innovation. <laughs> so Pearson's second place at Gamecock Speedway was also the first time he went head to head with Richard Petty. Petty was well funded and well respected. Pearson drove his own car and had to make a name for himself. So basically polar opposite. He definitely had something to prove and his successful first season put him on the radar. Dude, Okay. Well, going into this, I was like, hell yeah, I'm all about Richard Petty. I love the king. But now I'm like, oh. Pearson's kind of the underdog. Starting in 1960 and running until Pearson retired in 1986, the Carolinas duo went head-to-head -head 551 times, as we've mentioned. Petty beat Pearson 290 times and scored 108 first-place wins to Pearson's 97. Jeez. Petty placed in the top five 292 times, while Pearson placed 289 times in the top five. Wow. That's so close, dude. For top 10 finishes, Petty earned 367 to Pearson's 349. If you just look at the raw numbers, it looks like Petty won. Or did he? Ooh. When you pull back and look at the whole career of these two drivers, it paints a different picture. Because Petty had some significant advantages. First, his father was basically the first real NASCAR driver and established an extremely successful racing team, Petty Enterprises, which handed him cars and support staff on a silver platter. The crew was so invested in Petty winning, they rushed the field at the 1976 Daytona 500 to push him across the finish line while two-ton cars were blown by at 140 miles per hour. Yeah, that's why they have rules. <laughs> you can't push the car while they're active race cars flying around here. all right guys we got a new rule for this season <laughs> <laughs> while petty was rolling around in daddy's money pearson was hustling his way onto teams trying to get support when it came to the cars petty had the best of the best and pearson was forced to buy cars from other drivers and build them himself in pearson's second year in 1961 he quickly saw the dangers of buying and racing your own car early in the season pearson lost control and smashed his car into the guardrail when he got back to the pit to assess the damage, he realized the frame had been bent in the crash. Then Pearson dropped out. He moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and took a job as a roofer 
to support his wife and two sons. As he watched race after race pass by, he turned his mind to roofing tiles and stopped worrying about NASCAR. That's super sad. He just has to give up his dream because he can't find funding. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so common in racing even today. I mean, more so today, man. It's so expensive. I was thinking about that yesterday. You know, being here in Southern California and being in the car industry, I know a lot of people who just have a lot of money, you know, because, you know, let's say trust funds, things like that. And just being someone who doesn't have the cash to, like, go racing like that is just, like, kind of, it's, it's, uh, it sucks. <laughs> that would be the equivalent of you have a wife and kids, right? And you're taking your family vehicle to the Daytona 500 yeah. to race. And right. being like, hey, if I wreck this thing, I can't take Susie to, to school tomorrow. <laughs> well, yeah, even if that was like a second vehicle, it's like rebuilding race cars is so expensive. Yeah. You know, both time and money wise. Anyway, just before the World 600 race of May 1961, Ray Fox and John Massoni, a highly respected engine builder and car owner, lost their usual driver, Daryl Derringer, due to a contract dispute. Joe Littlejohn, a racer from Spartanburg, suggested that they hire Pearson to run their freshly built 1961 Pontiac. Fox wasn't sure if he should trust the 26-year-old newbie racer, but he and Massoni took a chance on the rookie of the year. Dang, he's only 26 at this time? He's doing all right. He's raced in NASCAR a few times. Also, we should go back to naming kids like they did in the 60s or whenever these guys were born. Why? Like just first names? Yeah. Well, all their names. They just like they they like curated names better back then, I think, you know, for race car drivers. Yeah. Too many Aidens and Bradens <laughs> and Jadens nowadays. Get them out of here. I'm going to name my son Edward. Um. <laughs> um, Joe Littlejohn made me think of w one of my favorite background actors. I guess he's, uh, well, anyways, the guy that kills Uncle Ben in Spider-Man, mm -hmm. the real guy's name is Michael Papa John. <laughs> nice. I don't see how that's my problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With someone else's car at his disposal, David could focus on driving and not checking fluid levels. When it came time to qualify, Pearson laid down a shockingly fast third-place qualifying run just behind Richard Petty and Joe Weatherly. On race day, Pearson took an early lead and held on to first place for quite some time. But by lap 311, huh, 311 Petty had caught up and the chase was on. Over the next 20 laps, Petty closed the gap by more than six seconds and Pearson was getting nervous. Then, Petty's deep pockets failed him, and the 61 Plymouth Fury's motor exploded because of the strain he was putting on it trying to catch Pearson. With Petty limping away, it was wide open sailing for David Pearson. He was three laps ahead of the next closest driver, Fireball Roberts, when he ran over some debris and blew a tire. Pearson kept the wheel steady and guided his Pontiac through the final two laps at 20 miles per hour to claim the victory. It was his first big NASCAR win and his first real encounter with the King, and he left a serious impression on him. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. As the 1960s plotted along, Pearson found himself on more established teams and his equipment problem was being settled. He entered half as many races as Petty, but his winning percentages were way higher. By 1963, the rivalry was heating up and fans were starting to notice. The Pickens 200 was the first time they both landed together in the top 10, but they weren't in each other's faces yet. Sure, they had that dust up in 1961, but now they were side by side for entire races and Petty realized Pearson wasn't going away and his wins weren't just a fluke. The 1963 Sand Lapper 200 was their first real showdown. It was a sweltering August day in Columbia, South Carolina, home turf for Pearson. Petty was gunning for his 25th NASCAR Grand National win, and Pearson had nothing to lose, except his profitable roofing business. (laughs) And his wife who said, hey, if you don't cut this out, I'm leaving you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I've got to take Jenny to school tomorrow. They traded positions plenty of times, but Petty couldn't shake Pearson. But... By the end of the 200 laps, Petty managed to keep his lead and bag the victory by nine seconds. This was the first of more than 60 first-second finishes for the drivers. In 1964, they finished first and second so often that fans were forgetting all the other drivers' names. At the Richmond NASCAR Cup, Pearson beat Petty. At the Nashville Super Speedway, Petty beat Pearson. At the Confederate 300, doesn't age well, uh, Pearson took the victory. And on and on and on. The only question left at the end of the race was who got third place. And that was Fireball... (laughs) (laughs) Diddlerdale. (laughs) Hey, that's Taint Johnson over there, isn't it? (laughs) By the end of the 60s, Pearson had smoothed out his support structures and car situation. He set the tone for the 1969 season by being the first driver to ever qualify faster than 190 miles per hour. Meanwhile, Petty was still bummed about his less-than-stellar 1968 season. He decided to take drastic measures and allowed himself to be wooed away from his Chrysler car deal. Petty signed a one-year deal with Ford to drive their limited-edition Ford Torino Talladega. The new 17-foot-long, 3,800-pound Torino was considered to be kind of aerodynamic by 1969 standards and gave Petty a bit of an edge. Of course, the season ended with Pearson and Petty in one and two. But in the run-up, they were neck and neck the whole way. Pearson scored 11 big wins in his Holman Moody Torino Cobra, while Petty grabbed 10 wins in his experimental Torino Talladega. 
Pearson also took the pole position a whopping 13 times that season, but wound up in the top five 42 times, while Petty took six poles and only 31 top fives. But Pearson took the championship at the end of the year, and it would be his last. This is the time where they figured out that aerodynamics were important. Um, so you'll notice on these Torinos that they've got a really long, sloping, fastback design, um, which you know cuts down on drag. And one of the reasons that Petty left Chrysler was that they didn't have as an aerodynamic car. So in response to that, Dodge, they worked on a Charger called the Charger 500 for Daytona 500. Um, and what they did was they made a fastback kind of like this. Uh, the windshield, you know, on those Chargers, the the C pillar is like these big pillars and the the windshield is kind of sucked in a little bit so you kind of you get the c pillars it looks really cool but it's not aerodynamic at all so what they did is they redesigned it put you know had the had the rear uh glass kind of inlaid with the c pillars looked it was a lot more aerodynamic but what didn't quite get it done didn't quite uh do the trick that the torino could so that's when they started working on the charger daytona and the plymouth superbird which we'll probably talk about in a little bit um you know the big wing cars super aerodynamic Super pointy noses, big old wing in the back, untouchable. So the 1969 season was special, and at the time, no one even knew it. It would be the last season Pearson would ever run a full schedule. By 1969, he'd won a lot of trophies and decided to slow down. But it was tough to get a sponsorship as a part-time driver. And by 1972, Pearson hadn't won a super speedway race in a few years, and there were a lot of people who were saying his career was over, even though he's just 37 and had 60 wins and three championships to his name. Wow. I've only got like 32 wins to my name. (laughs) Glenn Wood from Woods Racing needed someone to fill A.J. Foyt's seat because he was heading back to IndyCar competition, and Pearson was the guy he wanted behind the wheel. So they signed some papers and went racing. The first race with the Woods brothers for Pearson was the 1972 Rebel 400. Expectations were fairly low because new teams can take a full season to meld together and get into a successful groove. But right out the gate, Pearson took pole at the Rebel 400 and stayed in first place for 202 of the 293 laps. By the end of the race, he was leading Petty by an entire lap and took the checkered flag. It was a bit of a shocking win for the part-time racer at a brand new team, but it shouldn't have been surprising from David Pearson. It was during this season that Pearson earned the nickname The Fox because he was so adept at choosing which races to compete in. You know, because foxes are also very adept. (laughs) at choosing which races to compete in. (laughs) Yep, that makes sense. Checks out. Print it. Yeah, teams knew that when Pearson's crew showed up, he was probably going to win. From 1972 to 1978, Pearson and Petty went head-to-head 141 times. Pearson won 43 of those battles, and Petty, (laughs) just 28. During that time, Pearson also had 14 more top five finishes than Petty, even though he competed in way less races. Interesting. The rivalry had given NASCAR the boost in attendance that it needed. Since the oil crisis started and NASCAR lowered their lap counts and wiggled around enacting regulations, fans started tuning out. The NFL was starting to really ramp up with players like O.J. Simpson, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, and Walter Payton showing up all over television. NASCAR started going after TV viewers, and part of that was putting the drivers out there for interviews to excite fans. Richard Petty slid right into this role with ease. But Pearson was more subdued. Pearson wasn't one to showboat or get involved with drama. 
He would give his post-race interviews and then go home to his wife and sons. He would not stop talking about his roofing business. That's why they wouldn't show him on TV. Yeah, he actually had a promo car where he just glued shingles onto the top of his car. (laughs) You know, you really want to make sure you have the right shingles for your climate. Yeah, he tried to justify it by saying it was good arrow, but it actually was very poor arrow. (laughs) We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. As the 1970s bled into the 1980s, NASCAR exploded in popularity, and part of the reason was the new generation of racers. People like Dale Earnhardt, Daryl Waltrip, and Bill Elliott were all over TV and all over the track at the same time. Waltrip came in hot in 1981 and 1982, winning 12 races and the series championship. Earnhardt was dubbed the Intimidator, and Bill Elliott was nicknamed Million Dollar Bill because he made history by winning the first ever Winston Million. A million dollar bonus to any driver that could win three out of the top four races of NASCAR. That's a huge accomplishment. That's a big payday. I feel like that's a big purse, right? Do the guys get that nowadays? I don't know. I actually don't know what the NASCAR payouts are per race, but that's pretty that's pretty sick. Yeah. What's the equivalent for golf? Like that they have pretty high yeah, golf is crazy high. Yeah. yeah, golf is like when you see golf, you're like, no way those guys make that much money. Th- that's why people play golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's not fun. We all know that. <laughs> it's it, yeah, that's why dads force their kids to play golf or tennis because <laughs> they can win millions and millions of dollars in one tournament. You know. Yeah. Petty fit right in with this crowd while Pearson took a back seat. Pearson showed up and raced like hell, and he kept winning. But Petty was aiming for points and championships. The full-time competition for a first and second place finish was over for the two old racers. From 1980 to 1986, Pearson jumped between teams and cars and showed up half a dozen times a year to qualify and race. It seemed like his old thrill for the race had been lost. Petty was stacking up all of his wins and pursuing goals that would put him in the history books, but he too had lost the thrill of it all. But without Pearson in his rearview mirror, Petty looked like he was just going through the motions. In 1986, Pearson ran a few races in his own self-funded car. His final race was the 1986 Champion Spark Plug 400. That's an awesome race name. He qualified at 15th and finished in 10th, a respectable ranking for anyone but David Pearson. Dale Earnhardt, Bill Elliott, and Darrell Waltrip all landed in the top five, and Richard Petty finished 18th. Whoa. A few years later, in 1992, Petty also retired. While Pearson made his announcement by just not showing up to any more races, Petty held a year-long self-congratulatory tour where he glad-handed fans and signed autographs as he stepped down. That's like uh, Elton John. Well, I mean, he's the king, man. He's got to say thanks to the fans. I don't know if it's self-congratulatory necessarily, but it's like, you know. It's like, okay, like, he's a PR guy. He's a marketing guy. Like, Kimi Raikkonen announced his retirement this week. Um, he's probably not going to be doing that. <laughs> like, glad-handing and signing autographs. He's probably going to be like, uh, thank you, and then goes to his yacht afterwards. Uh, that's going to be it. Whereas a guy like Lewis Hamilton, who knows the game, you know, he would do that. He would he, he'd be more involved with the fans. Yeah. How many seasons do you have? Do you think uh, Hamilton has left? I think his contract goes to 2023. 
I don't know if Lewis is one of those guys that like say like Mercedes say Toto Wolf leaves Mercedes Toto Wolf uh, and then Lewis Toto Wolf uh, Toto Wolf leaves Mercedes and like the dream team kind of disperses. I don't know if Lewis is one of the guys that like goes to like a smaller team. Say like, what if Lewis went to like Williams or something like that? I don't know. I don't know if he is one of the guys that would stick around in like a slower car just to be in the sport. You know. I think he's gonna retire and then do like. 24 hour of Le Mans, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that'd be cool. If I was, if I was Lewis, I would go out on top. Don't let it fade out and, uh, have fun. It all depends on which team he goes to. I think he's going to stick around to the new car because that's another challenge. Yeah. You know, that's oh, like, he will. that's, he will. that's the, Hey, we're leveling the playing field and now it's, who's the best race like driver. Right. So right. he's not going to dip before that. No, I, I don't think so either. And plus, you got to remember, he's like 36. Those reaction times are slow. But he's still so good. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry to turn this NASCAR podcast into a into an F1 podcast. My bad. We'll get back to it. <laughs> Overall, David Pearson beat Richard Petty 152 times. And Petty beat Pearson 127 times. They both set a multitude of records that any driver would be proud of. Their legacy in the NASCAR lore is fully secure. 25 years after his retirement, Richard Petty was asked to be the honorary pace car driver at Darlington Speedway. NASCAR had prepared a fully refurbished 1960 replica of his own number 43 Plymouth Belvedere. With the ancient motor roaring, Petty pushed the car hard. As the honorary pace car driver, he was supposed to return to the pits after one lap. But Petty, being Richard Petty, he overstayed his welcoming and gunned the Belvedere, ignoring the officials that were black flagging him for a violation as he went for a second lap. Hell yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> he drove the old Plymouth hard, and over the radio, the other drivers laughed and joked about Petty going renegade. <laughs> but there's a moment there in the video where you can see his smile turn somber as he looks into the rearview mirror at the modern stock cars behind him. It was almost as if he was looking for the front end of David Pearson's 61 Pontiac pursuing him down the track. Dang. There it is. One of the greatest rivalries in NASCAR history. I did not know that Pearson had so many wins. Yeah, me neither. That's, isn't that crazy? Just based on how you, like one guy hated dealing with press and PR and it's almost <laughs> like you don't know about him as, you know, like he obviously... Yeah, you, because of that, I mean, I think most, I think, you know, real NASCAR fans know that, like, uh, Pearson, like, you can't really separate the stories of Pearson and Petty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty awesome. And now, uh, going forward, you know, anytime I think about Petty, I'm going to be thinking about Pearson as well. And I hope you do, too, because you just listened to Pass Gas. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Jerry. For stepping yeah, in, yeah, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me. This was a lot of fun. I like, uh, I love reading these, or I love listening to you guys tell me these stories because uh, you learn a little bit, and it's super interesting. So now I got to go and do a lot more research on on Pearson. I'm I'm impressed with this guy. It's pretty cool. Get ready, Google. I'm about to Google it up. <laughs> Dang, dude, don't don't burn Google out. Okay, they're uh, they're on their last little bit of energy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah, if you if you guys enjoyed this, check out Bumper to Bumper on our main channel. Jerry's the host. He does a great job. They do a lot of cool engineering and racing uh, breakdowns. Um, if you want, follow... What is it? What's your What's your handle? Oh, on Instagram? It's just yeah. my name, Jeremiah Burton. Or I'm on TikTok now, too. Nice. Doing yeah. the ticks and the talks. I'm doing the ticks and the talks. My name is Silence of the Lambda. Check me out. <laughs> Were you in a um, frat in college? I was not, no. Thank God. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a frat guy. I'm so I like I like my couch and like not doing anything. I'm that kind of person. I can't. I'm Richard. I'm Pearson. Okay. I want <laughs> to get home and not talk to anyone, unless it's you guys. But um, yeah, a bunch of dudes I don't know. Yeah, no thanks. Nolan, are you a, a petty or a Pearson? <sighs> I mean, I was petty before we did this. You know. But now I'm Pearson, I feel. Yeah, I think I'm more of like a, I think I'm like a lightning scrotum. Uh, you know, the classic NASCAR racer. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm Joe G. Webb on Instagram and follow Nolan J. Sykes. And this has been fun. Yeah, thank you. Follow Jeremiah Burton on Instagram or Twitter and uh, Silence of the Lambda on TikTok. <laughs> Uh, follow Nolan J. Sykes on Instagram and Twitter and follow me at Joe G. Weber. And if you have any suggestions for any episodes or whatever, if you, we love feedback in any form. So email us at passgas at donutmedia.com. We will read it and consider it. And we get a lot of our episode ideas from your suggestions. So thank you for that. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Be kind. Keep it juiced. Bye for now. See you next time.